Every government institution has secrets. It comes with the territory, right? Once you're entrusted with enough power or enough responsibility, you're bound to come across some information you're not supposed to share. I've been repeating that idea like a mantra lately. Let's say I know something that could be dangerous. Is it my responsibility to share that information? Or is it my responsibility to keep it secret? I don't know the answer, but keeping the experience to myself isn't sustainable anymore. It's driving me crazy. If I never talk about it, I'll never have more than these questions. I want some answers instead. Almost 10 years ago now, the compliance office overseeing Yosemite National Park received an anonymous tip that poachers were in the area. Mariposa Grove was named a specific point of interest. If you don't already know, that's a concentrated area of the sequoia on the southernmost tip of Yosemite. The compliance office isn't usually in charge of filtering information like that. It took a while to trickle down to the right people. Once we had it, I was grouped with a team of rangers asked to monitor the grove. Under circumstances like these, most tips don't pan out. We either hear about the poachers after it's too late, or they realize that we've been tipped off, and they never show. I spotted these poachers right away. A few days after I was assigned, I found tracks of an undocumented campsite. That put me on the trail fast. It was another day before I caught up to them. In hindsight, I should have recognized how out of the ordinary this was. The tip went through the wrong office. The park district mobilized immediately. And there I was, closing in on our suspects just a few days later. As much as I hate to say it, we never acted with so much urgency. We weren't always that accurate either. The suspects were a 50-year-old man and his teenager son. They were scared even before I flashed my badge. Those should have been my last red flags. I should have listened to their story. At the time, all I heard was that they were hunting something. They admitted it. I didn't waste time on any details beyond that. They told me that they had already set up a trap in the area too. That needed to be my priority. The sun was setting. I asked them to lead me to the trap anyways. It needed to be disabled before it could do any permanent damage to the local wildlife. They begrudgingly agreed. The boy was particularly resistant. I remember him yelling at the father, almost warning him that something bad would happen if they went along with my demands. If anything, that only made me more persistent. I thought they were trying to avoid additional legal trouble. To me, that meant they were hiding something else. I wanted to see it. We walked for about a mile. When it finally got dark, I contacted my superiors over the radio. If either of the suspects were injured while I was urging them on, the park district would be facing a lawsuit. They agreed with my earlier assessment. We needed to disable the trap and ensure that the poachers weren't hiding anything else. I was expecting to find a snare or a live cage. What I found instead was a pit. They had dug a hole large enough to bury an elk. Sharpened stakes were crammed in the bottom and a cloth sack was suspended from a tree overhead. Red liquid was leaking through the fabric. I turned and questioned the poachers. There were black bears in the area, sure, but they weren't going to be lured into a trap with a bag of raw meat. They weren't going to come running like sharks to blood. 
Before the father or son could answer me, a roar swept through the trees. It was deep and long-winded, louder than anything I'd heard from a bear. I must have processed the next few events in shock. I don't remember being an active participant in anything that had happened. I only remember the encounter unfolding around me. The sun ran and tackled me to the ground. As he did, a flash of reddish fur leaped over our heads. I saw teeth and spit and fiery eyes. I think I climbed to my feet. I was standing for the next part. The animal charged the father. It was running on two legs. I remember that vividly. Its long arms swayed, almost scraping the ground when it sprinted. The old poacher wasn't fast enough to run away. He must have known that because he headed for the pit instead. He jumped across the opening as the animal lunged for him. I watched its snout-like mouth wrap around his shoulder. Then the two of them fell in the pit together. There was a scream and a whine. I'm not sure where either sound came from, the man or the monster. A team of first responders was in the area within an hour. They airlifted the poacher out of the spike pit and took him to a hospital for treatment. He lived. The animal did not. Whatever that creature was, it was dragged out of that hole under a blue tarp. The body was carried out of the grove on the back of a four-wheeler. I remember its limbs dangling out from underneath the sheet and cutting lines in the dirt. When we got through the trees, they were waiting for us. Another government agency. They gave their credentials to my superiors. When I tried to ask questions, they insisted that I needed more medical attention. I was stuck answering questions while they loaded the tarp and the creature into this large black van. Once they drove away, they told me what I saw. The information was almost clinical. It sounded like they had rehearsed all of their answers. It was a sick bear. The poachers had injured it in a prior exchange, which was why it was moving so strangely. The father and son, they said, were members of a notorious group of illegal hunters. I'd done the park service a great favor, they said. I chose to believe them. I chose to believe them for years. Each night when I couldn't sleep, I chose to believe them. Each morning when I looked at myself in the mirror, I chose to believe them. Now, I'm not so sure. I look for the whereabouts of the boy and his father. They saved my life, right? It's like they don't exist. I asked a few friends of mine who still work for the park service if they could find the records of that incident. There's nothing. Everything behind me has been erased. I was a passenger that night. I was a spectator. I don't want to be a spectator anymore. I want to know what that creature was. I want to know where it was taken and by who. And I want to know why those two poachers were hunting it. I really enjoy hiking. I like finding cool things on the trails. Stones, leaves, mushrooms, little pieces of bark, and even tiny insects and things like that. It helps me clear my mind to do things out in nature. So when the weather is right, or if I start feeling a bit antsy, I'll go for a stroll. It was May when we started to get a lot of rain. It's one of my favorite smells. So I'd usually hold out until I saw clouds in the sky. My friend was supposed to meet up with me that day, but they weren't feeling very well. I didn't want to sit inside, so I decided that I knew the trail enough to go out on my own. I had done it plenty of times before, going on the trail alone, and it would give me more time and space to 
just let my mind be free. I put on my raincoat and my boots. I grabbed my satchel so I might be able to collect some fun things, and I headed out the door. The trail wasn't a far drive. It was just a few miles from where I lived. I pulled into the parking area. I wanted to make sure that I didn't leave anything important behind, so I checked my back seats and glove compartment. I typically bring a water bottle, a flashlight, and a pocket knife, you know, just in case. I grabbed this stuff and a compact umbrella because I had been hoping for rain. I shoved it all into my satchel and I headed onto the path. It had rained the day before, so I could still smell the wet leaves in the dirt. The ground was pretty slippery, but once you get going, you kind of get used to it. This particular trail was known for having lots of wildlife. I had seen plenty of birds, a few snakes, and some squirrels and raccoons, and once I saw a few deer. I hadn't seen anything super threatening, well, other than the snakes. I do hate snakes, but not like a wolf or anything like that. Nobody seemed to be on the trail that day, or the day before. I didn't see any footprints in the mud. To be fair, it was rather early in the morning when I went, maybe earlier than the average person would like to go for a hike but it didn't deter me at all. I knew the trail, like I said. The clouds were definitely getting more and more dark as I hiked. I could tell that I'd get what I'd asked for. Honestly, looking back at it all, I do regret it. I started to feel tiny raindrops fall into my hair. I took out my umbrella. It wasn't pouring yet, but you could count on it getting to that point in a matter of seconds. So I'm just soaking up the environment and the ambience when I hear this strange sound in the distance. It sort of sounded like a weird high-pitched shrieking sound, so I looked around. I thought maybe it was a deer, but I'm not a wildlife expert. It could have been something else, or it could have been nothing at all. And with the rain that started to pick up, I could have just been hearing normal noises. It was a little muffled, and it sounded a ways away from me. I didn't see anything, so I packed up my water bottle and I just continued walking. My umbrella was up so the sound of the rain was pretty loud around my head, but I kept hearing something moving in the woods off to my right, so I'd stop and I'd look and listen. I was naive, I suppose, too trusting. I just kept brushing it off. The rain is knocking some branches around, because that's what it sounded like, branches being disturbed. There was a point when the sounds got more intrusive. I did start to panic a little. Mostly, I had a feeling like the sound was following me, so my mind started creating theories. Was there some stalker person following me? Did they know where I live? I was scared, but I was scared of the wrong thing. I halfway expected to see a creepy person or a bear. That's not what I saw at all. As I'm looking around to identify what is making all of the ruckus, I notice to my right something moving. My focus is entirely on this one particular tree. The trunk of the tree is decently thick, and there's plenty of branches on it. But then I started to realize that some of the branches I had been looking at weren't really branches at all. They were antlers. My heart kind of relaxes. It's just a deer following me through the trees, no big deal. I take my eyes off of it. I turn backwards towards the path and take a couple of steps when I hear something behind me. Let me just say that what I had seen before was not a deer. It was now standing by the closest tree to my back in the right. It was basically on the path, but it was standing up like a human does. Its legs weren't human though. 
They look more like a deer's legs with hooves. Its body almost looked like it could easily camouflage with a tree because it seemed very, like, frail. It looked like its limbs could have been branches because of how thin they were. It literally looked like part of the tree. The only thing that helped me realize that I wasn't looking at a tree, other than its quick movement, were its eyes. that seemed to glow kind of like an animal's eyes in the dark, and the weird deer skull that it was wearing on top of its face. As quickly as it appeared, it was gone. I didn't even have time to grab my pocket knife. I don't know if I trust my eyes, if I'm being completely honest. It all happened so fast. I took a summer job a few years ago in a town by my college. A local lodge wanted a housekeeper to clean the place and keep it tidy. Not too many people came in and out during the day, but it seemed to pick up at night. I didn't mind being alone, just pop on my headphones and get to cleaning, really. The lodge was three stories tall with the basement. However, they never instructed me to clean down there. Part of me figured it was just storage, but by the size of the building, I could surmise that the basement was pretty large. One day, I was going about my normal routine, where I cleaned the top floors and worked my way down to the bottom. When I got to the first floor, I noticed the door down to the basement was wide open. I took my headphones out and called out thinking it's possible some other staff member went down there, or even the owners. The owners would come by frequently and grab boxes and bags from the basement. I called out asking if anyone was there, but I got no response. I don't know what came over me, but my curiosity got the best of me. It's not like I was suspicious of anything down there. I just wanted to take a look. There was a narrow staircase that led you down. I think I took about three steps before I heard someone call me. I gasped and turned quickly to see the owner. Immediately, I apologized and explained that the door was open. He chuckled a bit and said, you're not in trouble. I'd be happy to give you a tour. He led me down the narrow staircase. And just as I suspected, the basement was huge. It wasn't your typical dark and dingy basement. To my surprise, it was super clean and well lit. A brick fireplace stood erect in the middle of the room, and boxes of holiday ornaments lay in the corner. The owner walked with me around to the corner where a vacant walk-in freezer remained. He explained that when his great-grandfather owned the building, it was once a prominent restaurant. He told me he didn't have the heart to tear any of it down when they built the lodge on top. After he was done giving me a tour, he led me upstairs. Nothing much to see down there, but... It is a bit private, he said. Given what he told me about the basement and how it was essentially a shrine of the remains of his grandfather's prominent restaurant, I didn't question anything. He told me sometimes strong gusts of winds open the door, but if it ever happens again, just close it and go about my duties. I went about my task for the day, but kept recalling the layout of the basement. The first thing that struck me as odd was the fact that there were no windows in the basement or any airflow. So how could gusts of wind prompt the door open? I recalled the walk-in freezer and wonder why they didn't put that one to use. There was one smaller one on the first floor, but the size of the one in the basement would fit so much more. My shift ended at 6 p.m. and I had to put away all my cleaning supplies in the storage room on the first floor. I was on my way out when I noticed the basement door was open again. 
I went to close it, but I heard commotion coming from downstairs. I leaned it to see if I could hear voices, but only heard scuffling. On the off chance it was someone who wasn't supposed to be there, I didn't want to call out and alert them. I quickly and quietly tiptoed over to the supply room and grabbed a broom. It wasn't much, but it was the best weapon I had on hand. I approached the top of the spiral stairs and slowly descended. When I reached the bottom of the steps, I looked around cautiously and heard commotion coming from around the corner where the freezer was. The closer I got, the louder it sounded. It was banging and coming from inside the freezer. I immediately opened it and stepped back, cocking my broom in the air. An elderly man burst out of the freezer gasping. Oh, thank you. I couldn't get the door open, he said. I dropped my broom and asked if he was okay. He was wobbling a bit when I reached out to grab him. His hands were ice cold. You're freezing, I told him, and I removed my jacket, placing it on him. He sighed in relief, thanking me while he caught his breath. I sat him down on this dusty chair and debated about turning the fireplace on. I was inspecting it, trying to flip it on, but it didn't seem to work. Oh, I could never get that old thing to work, he said. Customers didn't mind the cold season. I guess because the food is that good, he chuckled. I remembered the owner talking about the restaurant. Did you work at the restaurant, I asked? Work there? I owned it. He smiled and began glancing around, and his smile soon faded. Wait a minute, where's the tables and chairs, he said angrily. I tried to calm him down thinking he got confused, and was an old worker who wandered in. I sat him back down and I told him that I'd get him a glass of water. I went up to the second floor and got a water bottle, and I rushed back down into the basement. When I returned, there was no sign of him. My coat was left on the chair, but he wasn't. I looked around for a bit and figured maybe he caught his senses and left. I grabbed my coat and put away the chair and went back upstairs. I called it a night and went home. The next morning, I intended to tell the owner about the incident. When I arrived the following day, I noticed guests crowded in the lobby. Among them was the owner. When he caught sight of me, he waved me over. He apologized for forgetting to let me know that I didn't need to come in until later. I asked him why the people were gathered around, and he told me it was the anniversary of his grandfather's death. He went on about how he had passed away in this freak accident. I questioned how he passed, to which he replied that he got locked into the freezer. My stomach turned and my heart dropped. I glanced towards the basement knowing I had encountered his grandfather.